Welcome back to the Landco podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about the three most common down payment strategies when purchasing land. So a few things about this episode. Most of our podcast episodes are part of kind of like an ongoing series, but from time to time, we like to throw one in um, as kind of advice or tips um, to kind of any land buyer, anyone from somebody who's new to it, who's looking to get into it, all the way up to, you know, landowners who've been doing it for, for decades. So this episode will most likely benefit those people getting into it. Uh, so because we're going to talk about the three most common strategies when it comes to like down payments, putting money down on purchasing land. So um, I do want to say before we get into this, it's very rare that a, like someone's down payment falls exactly into one of these strategies. Uh, but when we talk to people about, you know, how much do we want to put down and why they, they most commonly start in, in one of these three buckets. Uh, and, and we kind of, we can, you know, go one way or the other a little bit when it comes to money, but like, so they often end up hybrids of, of these kind of buckets, but the conversations always start with these three. Um, like 99% of the time they revolve around one of these strategies. So, we thought it'd be valuable to kind of like let you guys know, like, hey, here's what most land investors do because everybody wants to be in land investing, like everyone you talk to. And it's like, hey, I want to, I've dreamt about owning land. And sure, they could be just like saying that to like have conversation, but I like, I feel like they're, they're, they're authentic and they're like, man, it'd be awesome to own land. But like 99% of the people that say that, they've never got past like looking at a property online. Like they don't, I'm not saying that they like would do it once they understand the first few basic steps, but it helps. Like it's not as scary as you may think to do to invest in land. So some of these podcasts um, will fall into what we may like eventually call like you know tips or advice for for land investors. But for now, we're trying to kind of clarify th some things that people just either don't know or um, have some confusion about. So because. Like, I'm not an expert on buying houses. I've bought some personally, but I don't know. But I believe it to be different than people would do for houses. Like, down payment strategies for land tend to be different discussions than I would imagine somebody has, like, when it's time to, to buy their main house. So, um, I'm going to roll through three of these. Um, the first is very easy and one that won't require much discussion. Um because it doesn't, a lot of people, it's not even an option, but that is paid in full. Like no down payment, we're paying cash. And that may seem like a little scary to a lot of people. Don't worry about it because if you can't do that, it's not a huge deal. But I do wanna to touch on that because it is a good strategy for people who simply wanna move money. Like land and you know, depending on how you look at it, but land is no different than like a stock or another investment in, you know, commercial real estate or a bond or whatever. Like it, it is an investment. And <clears throat> the difference that we've covered many, at least many podcasts, but the difference is in, in our minds, like you get to enjoy your investment, which is a big deal. But at the end of the day, like it is a real estate investment. Um, the paid in full strategy, um, is one that can be valuable for like somebody at the tail end of their career, uh, somebody retired, somebody's, somebody that's made, uh, you know, 
a decent amount of wealth early in their career. It is for people that have a lot of savings in place. But the benefit of of those people doing that is like, it is as stress-free as you could possibly get. Like they're literally moving, you know, they've got a million dollars saved up in savings accounts. They're moving a portion of that, you know, 500 grand from stocks into a piece of property. And they perform, you know, very similarly you know, history would say that land has actually outperformed the stock market, but it's it's an asset. Um, you get an annual, you know, stocks will be dividends. The land's going to be cash rent or whatever it is. It's just a little more stable. So we see this most of the time in people towards the end of their career that maybe aren't, you know, quite as, um, they're not, they don't fully believe in the stock market. Like, listen, right now the stock market's great. I don't, know that I've talked to one person that fully understands why or expects it to keep getting better. So like right now is a good example. People are taking money out of the stock market and moving it to land. Um, It's a little unique now because we don't have much to sell them, but the theory holds true. Like it's moving money from one pocket to the other pocket. And um, it happens, you know, I I would say 15, 20% of our purchases are like that. Purchases are like that. And it could be a good strategy for people in that position uh, of life. So we're moving on because that is not most of our clients. That is a small portion, um, but that is one that we see a lot. The next two are going to be ones that you know are more relatable to most of our clients. They're similar, but they're approached in almost like opposite directions. So the second one is what we call like the monthly payment calculation. Like this is probably the closest to a house purchase as any of these three buckets kind of are, but it's like, okay, how much are we comfortable coming out of pocket with on an annual basis? Um, Because one thing that differs from like mortgages for a house versus a farm, most farm mortgages, farm payments are annually. So they're once a year um, instead of monthly. But like you still, you still kind of do the calculations. Like, how much am I cool with coming out of pocket with monthly to get to my end annual number? Like, how much am I comfortable with? And this this strategy does come with the most risk um, because it usually involves putting down like the minimum of, of what your bank will um, require, which is like you know twenty to thirty percent somewhere in that range. So you have you know, the leverage you have against that is lower than the other couple strategies. I don't say that in a bad way. You just kind of have to know that because this kind of bucket, this strategy is most often used by people like in the middle of their earning days. So, you know, people that have a decent income coming in and they're like, hey, of this, you know, 10, 15 grand a month, I am cool putting down the 20%, whatever the bank requires. Sometimes we'll have to save up for that to get it. But then you know, I'm cool coming up with a thousand bucks a month or 2000 bucks a month. Like each individual has their comfort zone. And then we back into a property that like will cost you that much. You know, it's not quite that simple because there's a lot of variables for different property, but that's, that's the, that's the idea. Like we figure out how much our client is comfortable coming out of pocket with, and we try to find something that matches that comfort level. So for example, um, the formula for this, well, I have this here, like the two, if you're going to use this 
strategy, the two questions you ask yourself to start this are, how much money am I comfortable with putting down on a property? Again, I just said, sometimes you don't have that, so you have to save up for a year or two years to get that. Like, how much are you comfortable putting down? Because that will, you know, affect how much total purchase power you have. So if you only have five grand to put down versus a hundred grand, it's, you're, you're talking about different properties. So how much money do I have to put down? Secondly, how much am I cool coming out of pocket with on like either a monthly or annual basis? So those two questions start the conversation. And then the formula that you get into like, okay, how much does this property cost me? It's going to be like specific to that property is simple. It's expenses and expenses. Well, so it's expenses minus income um, equals that net annual payment. Expenses and, and um, income are going to be different for every farm. But like in general, expenses are like your mortgage payment, your property taxes, and like, you know, maintenance. If it's got a house, it's going to, um, you know, have utilities. If it's, if it's got, you know, wetlands, you have to pump, it's going to have utilities for pumps. Like it's, there's a ton of different things each farm has that are unique to that farm. But in general, that's what you're going to be dealing with on income. Same thing, but for the most part, it's farm, rent, The cash rent you get from the farmer that he pays you to farm it. Maybe CRP payments, which is similar. It's just letting it sit there. The government pays you and then hunting, fishing leases, or if there's a lease on a house or whatever it is, but to get to, to back into an amount of how much that farm is going to cost somebody, you take the expenses, you deduct the income. What's left is what you'll have to come out of pocket with on an annual basis. So, for example, we'll kind of walk you through one here. Um, let's say a buyer is comfortable putting $50,000, okay? So he's, in this number, this formula will hold true no matter how much somebody has. But like, just for easy math, let's say somebody has 50 grand to put down. And they're cool coming out of pocket with 10 grand a year annually okay so what we do in this um in this case and we walk our clients through this so the easiest way to back into like a range of properties that we'll look at at this point are like okay what would happen if we bought a property or what could we afford with those numbers what could we afford if we bought something with a zero income which is typically like you know all water or all timber sort of property. And what could we afford if we bought something that's like, you know, we use all tillable sometimes as an example, but I think more accurately would be like, what's the highest amount of tillable that I want? Because if you're a deer hunter, like you don't want 100% property, you want maybe up to 50 or 60%. So whatever that max is, that kind of, you know, that range is the properties that we'll look at because you'll be surprised once we walk through this, you'll be surprised to see how big of a difference there is in carrying properties with no income versus carrying properties with income, with farmland or whatever it is, or CRP. So we have to make a few assumptions when we start this. So whatever location you're in, like if you're not in our location and using us, which you should be, <laughs> but if you're not, uh, let's say you're in Wisconsin, you sort of need to find a land broker if you're not familiar with the land investing game at all to kind of help you make these assumptions. Um, they're not like, <clears throat> again, we're just at a starting point. So these assumptions aren't backing the, into his, into like an exact property. They're just helping us establish this range of properties. So we're going to assume to start a 100% timber property. 
with no income, um, property tax of 1200 bucks annually. So hundred bucks a month, no ongoing maintenance costs. I know there's never going to be zero maintenance. Like even with timber properties, you're going to need to like get in there and clear your trails or whatever. But for timber property, they're, they're pretty minimal. So like, we're going to like ignore those tiny expenses for now. Um, so under those circumstances, the for formula would be like whatever comfortable annual payment you're cool with, which this guy is 10 grand, minus the property taxes, minus the maintenance expenses, do all that stuff. What you're left with is the annual mortgage payment, okay? So like, let's go through some specific numbers that'll make more sense. <clears throat> For this buyer, we know his comfort zone is 10 grand. That's what he's cool with. But I should back up. When I say the annual mortgage payment, like that is for this specific like case. That's that's what we would say, like, let's try to shoot for a mortgage in this amount, which would allow us to buy like, you know, this many acres or whatever, or this much uh, money. So let's go through some specific numbers. <clears throat> so for this buyer, we know that he's cool with coming out of, he or she is coming cool with coming out of pocket of 10 grand. We plug that amount in. So 10 grand minus the property taxes of 1200 minus the the ongoing maintenance, which we have zero, it might be, depending on the property, it might be different. That, <clears throat> so 10,000 minus 1,200 minus zero is $8,800. So we've backed into now like, okay, that's what sort of um, annual mortgage payment that this dude could afford, okay? So it's 733 bucks a month. So now we take that and we kind of run it against the current climate of like, <clears throat> you know, loans on, on property and those change depending on when you're listening to this. But like right now, let's say it's around 4% if you do the 30 year amortization schedule. So, you know, banks aren't financing for 30 years, but you'll do like a four or five year arm on that schedule. Um, so the numbers will stay the same. So if you plug in a loan of 150 grand with those terms, it comes out to an annual payment of 8,600 bucks. Okay. It's not exact, but we're close. You see how you see how we do this. So, 150 grand is the loan he would get. He has 50 grand to put down. So if he if that buyer <clears throat> is looking at the beginning of that range, all timber, 150 mortgage, 50 down. That's a 200 thousand dollar property. Okay. So with his comfort level, that's where the beginning of his range, 200 grand. Okay. Now we do the same exercise for a property that has income. So again, this doesn't mean that like this buyer would be comfortable with all tillable. We just do that to get like a range of properties to look at. So if we assume a property with 100% tillable, <clears throat> and again, we're making more assumptions here with nine grand of annual income. The reason we're using nine grand is because um, around here, like you get like a, a 3% return on properties. That's pretty normal. So the reason we do that is I am like assuming that if the, if the low amount of, of this guy's buying power, 200 grand, I'm going to make that jump to $300,000. I don't know if I know this to be, I know the end of this, um, exercise now, but when I did this, I didn't. So I, I made that jump assuming like, well, let's just pretend 300 grand is, is the, the high end of the buyer's kind of buying power uh, or comfort level. So <clears throat> I use 3% return, which is nine grand. 
property taxes are a little more expensive on income properties here. So I bumped that to 200 bucks a month. And again, no ongoing maintenance. So if we do that, we do the same exact, um, you know, the same exact formula. So what we do is the, um, I wanna make sure I'm not missing this. He's still putting 50 grand down. So that would result in a um, $250,000 mortgage or 14,400 bucks a year. <clears throat> Property tax of 2,400 for a total of 16,800. That's the total expenses. The income is $9,000. Again, we're just making assumptions. So you take that 16,800 of expenses minus nine grand of income and it's $7,800 out of pocket annually. So it's like, well, we're at the low end. We're still not at the buyer's like, you know, if it was close, we kind of end the exercise. We're still only, well, 78% of the way there. So it reveals that $300,000, if it's all, all tillable, is well within the, this guy's buying power. Not only well within it, it's, it's like not even at the, the, the high end. So what we do is we keep bumping that until we get to like <clears throat> where that this buyer's comfort level is. So let's say we bump that another 50 grand, okay? So now the income would be um, at 3%, the income is 10,500, still putting 50 grand, 50 grand down. So a 250 or a $300,000 mortgage now, at the same thing, you know, your 4% is $17,200 a year. And, you know, you can get these with your banker. You can go to Google and plug them in on a mortgage calculator. We're not looking to get exact. We're looking to get close to identify a range of properties that we should look at, <clears throat> or at least like, you know, start running numbers on. So $300,000 mortgage, $17,200 a year, property tax, $2,400. That's a total of $19,600 um, of expenses minus the income of $10,500 equals $9,100 annually out of pocket expenses. So 350,000, um, and we're still not to the, the 10 grand comfort range um, for this buyer, we're, we're at 9,100 bucks. But that tells us that $350,000 worth of 100% income producing property is within this buyer's comfort zone. And leaves a little room, little wiggle room. <clears throat> you know, we could keep going and dial that in like exactly, but for the most part, we're where we need to be. So we have that conversation like, okay, if you wanna come out of pocket with 10 grand a year, our range is from $200,000 with no income all the way up to $350,000 with all income. So any property in the middle there, you know, it could be $275,000 with um, half tillable. Cool, that's within our range. You know, if it's $300,000 with no income, well, we can't afford that. Like, that's not outside of the comfort level. We need to get income if it goes above $200,000. <clears> and the sliding scale goes all the way up to three hundred and fifty, dollars maybe a little higher than that, for all income. So that's just kind of like, and, and you could back into that in like more um, general terms, ballparking, but that exercise gets you fairly close. And again, that is for buyers that want to back into a certain payment that they are comfortable with. So again, a lot of times these are hybrids and it's like, well, that's where it starts. That's what I want to do. I want 10,000, um, you know, out of pocket max. And then we find a property and it's like the math, what, what we need to buy it for, the math is going to come in at 12,000 bucks annually. That's more than you want. You want to make a run at it or not? 
And then you kind of make those decisions on the fly a little bit, but at least you have a base to go off of. You know, if it's like, hey man, this property only costs us five grand and we love it. Like, it's a no brainer. Then you have a little more wiggle room to maybe even, you know, overreach a little bit for a property that you really, really want. Um, so it's an exercise. We probably do this with clients more so than either of this, these other two um, the methods. So <clears throat> that is it. That's the second one. The last one is similar, but you start exactly backwards, which sounds a little weird, but I'll walk you through it. The last method, and, and this is one that like, it's become our favorite. This is what like I use personally now when I, when I buy property. <clears throat> I try to get to, to these numbers. You run the same formula as you did before to get to a, the exact number of income. So essentially, the question becomes, how much do I need to put down on that property to never make a payment on it again? So like, I want to put down enough money and forget about it. And every year when I get the income, I'm going to take that income and I'm going to give it to my banker and be done with it. So like, it carries less stress. It's, there's a little stress because it's not like you're, you're paying cash for the whole thing. So if the income goes down or like, you know, there are reasons where you would maybe have to come out of pocket. But in general, the strategy is like, I don't want to have to bring any money to the table. I want to buy a property with whatever money I have. I want to buy a property that will carry itself, essentially. Um, and this has actually become a lot of, like, I didn't come up with this. A lot of our buyers did and not like, they didn't pull together and be like, let's do this. It just seemed to be a common kind of like strategy among some of our investors that like I, I learned as much from them as they learned from me. And it became kind of a common theme among a lot of these guys. And I'm like, man, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, especially when the, especially with the interest rates so low, like these numbers would be way different if in 10 years it's, you know, 12% to get a loan or whatever it is. So not only do I like the theory of it, it's easier now, you know, with interest rates at three to four, whatever it is, it's easier now than it, you know, has been in years past. So walking through that, <clears throat> I'm sure you get that concept, but just kind of walking you through that, how we do it is, um, we don't kind of, the numbers will change based on how much tillable, um, but we like to get like, when we do this, it's more of like, here's the target property. Most of these buyers know exactly what they want. Like we want to enjoy the money we have. And so here's ideally what we'd get. Okay. So like, let's say you look at a, um, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars to put down just for easy math. Again, every situation is different. Let's say you've got a hundred grand. <clears throat> um, you just, again, got to make a few assumptions about this. So let's start in the middle. <clears throat> you can do it anyways, but let's say you find a property is 50% tillable. Okay. If that property is 200 grand, let's say. Like, is my 100 grand enough to carry it? These numbers will change. This is kind of like, hey, here's your starting point. And then we could, we could go either way a little bit. And if you need to come up with more money, then we'd have that discussion. If you don't need all of it, cool. Um, but let's just say you find a, per, a, a property that's either listed or it's gonna cost you 200 grand to buy, okay? Let's assume it's, um, a two and a half percent return, which is, you know, fairly common for, again, this is where you have to kind of work with your local broker to be like, what's common for a property like this? But let's say it's five grand. 
that's probably a touch high. Um, 2% is probably more accurate, but for like easy math, let's use five grand um, on income. <clears throat> a mortgage on $100,000, because remember, if a $200,000 property, we have $100,000 to put down. A mortgage on $100,000, about $57,50 a year. Say so taxes are, you know, 100 bucks a month. It might be a little more than that, but for easy math, that's 1,200 bucks. So you're going through expenses, which is 69.50, which is your mortgage payment, 57.50 plus the 1,200 is roughly 69.50 minus income, which in this case is five grand. That scenario would result in a just shy of a $2,000 out-of-pocket expense, 1,950 bucks. So it's like, okay, <clears throat> well, there you go. That is the that is the ceiling if you're looking at a property that's about half tillable. You know, if there's more tillable, that ceiling is going to bump a little more. If there's less, it's going to go down. But <clears throat> in a property that's about 50%, that buyer can afford roughly $200,000 worth of property where he would say, here's my down payment. For the most part, like unless something goes kind of weird, I don't want to come out of pocket with money. So when I get my either ag payment or CRP payment, <clears throat> I'm taking that, giving it to my bank, and I'm, I'm home free. Like I don't have to move money around or I don't have to make any mortgage payments. Um, that's what, you know, and again, it's a great strategy because it's cool to only have one payment a year. Like, like a house, you have to, you know, you make payments monthly, which is fine. It's cool to only have one payment a year on farms because you can kind of line it up with your, um, like when you get your cash rent, but it also sucks. Like when it's due, if those payments aren't close and you have to come out of pocket, like, like the example before where somebody's cool coming out of pocket with, um, a thousand bucks a month, like very rarely does that buyer like put a thousand dollars a month away into like, you know, some account. It's like, Hey, your mortgage is due. You owe me 10 grand. It's like, you know, that's the downside of that. So under this last strategy to where it's like, I don't want to have to come out of pocket with anything. You don't like, you know, like you, in any other circumstance, you're like, man, that payment's due in a month or two months or whatever. It's kind of like in the back of your head. In this scenario, like it is out of sight, out of mind. You, you just don't need to worry about it. And if there's a weird year where it's like, hey, we didn't get our five grand, you know, we only got four grand. Well, okay, I need a couple grand. It's not as bad as like, hey, your $20,000 mortgage payment is due. So it is one that has become more um, popular among buyers and very common for like a lot of the investors that we trust a lot. So um, that is it. <clears throat> uh, that is the three buckets. And again, the, the first one, paying for something in cash is pretty, you know, self-explanatory. The other two, that's where they start. It's very rare that like they end up exactly, you know, because we're dealing with farms that are all different. It's not like buying a, you know, some Google stock where you can say, I want this much, you know, worth of stock. You pick one of these strategies that you're comfortable with, and then you run the numbers on a specific farm. <clears throat> and sure, if you can get someone to accept an offer on like exactly the number that you need, cool, you're going to back into like a precise number, but that's very rarely the case. So like, for example, in this last one, like, let's say $200,000 would do it, you know? And he's like, sorry, 210 is as low as I'll go. Well, like, then you kind of have a, you have a decision to make. So like, do I buy that knowing that like, I'll have to come out of pocket a little bit each year. 
Or do you say, nope, 200 grand is my number. Or do you say, I'll do it and let's close in six months to give me some time to save up some more money. Like there's, there's a lot of variables that you come into when you line them up with a specific property. But the thought process that our buyers go through when they decide like, when they think through like, how much am I gonna put down and, and how's that work? You know, how's that aligned with what I wanna buy? They almost always start with one of those three kind of buckets. So just wanted to walk you through those. If, if you're new to land investing, I hope that kind of helps, gives you like an idea of, of you know, different strategies different buyers have. No one is right or wrong. Um, they're, they're probably more commonly used by people in different stages of life. So like the paying cash is older people who have money in their accounts or someone that's accumulated wealth. The middle strategy is one that's like where, where the buyer is trying to back into a certain number that they're comfortable with out of pocket. That's usually buyers who are in the middle of their like earning days, their career where they can budget in, you know, numbers for those. The pay for itself property, pay for itself strategy is honestly probably used more by like land investors that and not even land investors, but like people who consider their land purchase, they may use it to hunt or fish or, you know, whatever it is, but they're thinking about the purchase in terms of an, in, as an investment, not just like, I'm going to buy land to go hunt it. So it's, it's used more by like people who are considering it more like a stock or, or, or an investment than the middle group. Um, but that's it. Um, and a lot of times that last um, the pay for itself strategy, it's used by people who don't care too much about what some of the benefits of properties come with. Like, you know, I, I use that for waterfall properties and fishing because I like to do that. But I've also bought a property where it's like, I don't care if, about the fishing. So I'll give up that right and only duck on it. So like to get to the number that I need to pay for itself, sometimes you have to lease some, lease some stuff out. And some of our buyers go all the way till it's like, hey, let's buy that and will lease everything out. So all I'm doing is buying a property that I'll have paid off in however many years, 15 or 30 years. And I don't need to use it because I don't want to use it. I just have some money to invest in a property. So <clears throat> that's it. Those are the three most common down payment strategies that we see. And I hope that, you know, if you're new into land investing, I hope that helps. And well, our plan is going to keep, keep coming up with some of these episodes that are, um, that hopefully bring value to people that are looking to get into this land investing market or that own property that are looking to you know maximize uh, their investment so we appreciate you guys listening and if you want to listen to more of them hop on our website landco.com or follow us subscribe on uh, apple podcast all of our stuff is on there as well and uh we'll hope to continue bringing you value so thanks for listening <laughs>